0: Good morning, Saints. Good morning. Our scripture is found in Thessalonians. <clears throat> in the New Testament, you can stand when you're there. I'll give you one more opportunity to stretch. Uh-huh. It's found in chapter five of First Thessalonians. Two small verses. Chapter five, First Thessalonians. <clears throat> Still hear some pages turning. I'll give it a second or two more. So chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. It reads like this, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Happy Sabbath to everyone. It's good to be back and see everyone. Okay. As I mentioned, uh, today's message is entitled God's True Church Today. God's True Church Today. Uh, Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. We can just bow our heads. Father in heaven, we just thank you for this time now to study your word. We invite your Holy Spirit to impress the things we're about to learn upon our hearts. Pray, Lord, that it would affect and reach a change within us. Ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God's true church today. I got this title from a title given to a compilation of Sister White's writings, which if you have like the EG White app, I have the blue app on my phone, you can actually type in GTCT, God's true church today, and it should pop up. So that's where I got the title for today's message. And Sister White uses this term, God's true church. And the question I want to ask is, what's the difference between God's true church and God's church? Because there's a distinction. And she uses the terms differently, and they're not interchangeable. And what we want to do is ask ourselves the question is this, is that which are we a part of? Are we part of God's true church, or are we part of God's church? So we need to make that distinction. We need to ask ourselves that question. So by the time we've finished, we need to have an idea of where we stand. As Paul says, we need to examine ourselves daily as to whether or not we are actually in the faith. Now we're told that the church at this time is the church militant which is composed of wheat and tears, which will subsequently become the church triumphant, which is actually a whole wheat church, as I like to say. And then ultimately, it will become the church victorious. But even now, at this time, we are told that God has his true church and God has his church even at this time when the church is now militant. So we're going to begin with that thought, and we're going to look to see what this distinction is and to see where we are before God, in the standing of God, and where we are in God's sight. Now in 1844, in the 1844 movement, God was present with the church and worked mightily with them. And we're told that they did not continue to walk in the light that was open before them. And it was only a few years later, actually in 1856, that Sister White identified the church as being in the Laodicean condition. And this is actually what we read here. Second Spiritual Gifts, page 215. Soon after we embraced the view that the testimony to the Laodicean church applied to this time, we visited Round Grove, Illinois, Illinois, and I will give here an extract from a letter written to Bro Howland's family, November 23rd, 1856. So here we see that in 1856, Sister White wrote here this letter, identifying the church as being then in the Laodicean condition. So it wasn't soon after the 1844 movement that the church was in this state. And we're told regarding the relationship of God with his people at this time, we are told this. Of those who boast of their light and yet fail to walk in it, Christ says, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And Val Capernaum, in brackets, she writes, Seventh-day Adventists who have had great light, close brackets, which are exalted unto heaven in point of privilege, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Review in Herald, August 1st, 1893. She, This is actually written there. I didn't write what was in brackets. The bracketed comments are written by Ellen White. The church is in the Laodicean state. The presence of God is not in her midst. So this is what she writes back then regarding the condition of the relationship between god and his people now i've often i think i spoke here once before on reflections on the life of samson and samson himself is a type for the church as samson was asleep so the church is asleep today as samson was asleep on the lap of a woman so the church today is asleep on the lap of a woman through ecumenism. You see, with the other churches, because a woman in the church represents the church, right? As Samson was blind, so the church is blind. And yet again, the it goes on. As Samson partook of intoxicating beverage, so the church today is partaking of intoxicating beverage through false doctrines coming into the church. So we see that there is a connection between, you know, the experience of Samson and the church in the last days. And scripture says regarding the condition of Samson's relationship with the Lord, it says this, he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. You see, Samson had got into the motions of religion. He had said on one occasion, you know, as I tossed away the Philistines, so I will do so at this time right now. But the scripture again says, he wist not that the Lord had actually departed from him. And we see that Laodicea is in a similar condition present day. We see, as she writes, the presence of God is not in her midst. And this is not something that the church would readily recognize. And why would that be? Well, we're told, of course, in Revelation 3 that the church lacks spiritual discernment to see their true standing before God. So we see here that history is what? History is repeating itself. And of course, and this is for another sermon, that the remedy for this, what's the remedy for all this? I save to see your true condition and ultimately to repent of the sins. As Samson repented of his sins, his strength came back to him, right, likewise. And Laodicea, likewise, is been to be zealous, therefore, and repent as well. But that I'll leave for another time. And so with that being said, there comes yet a twist in the plot. The outpouring of the Spirit in the days of the Apostles was the beginning of the early, or former, reign, and glorious was the result. To the end of time, the presence of the Spirit is to abide with the true Church. So here we just read before that the presence of God was not in the midst of the Church, and then here we see that since Pentecost, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is to be with the true Church, till the end of time, from the day of Pentecost till the end of time. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how can we reconcile this? Is God with the church or is God not with the church? And what is God's church? And then what is what? God's true church. And the question is, which are you a part of? You have to ask yourself that question because it's going to make all the difference, you see? This is a question we need to ask ourselves. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the what? End of the world, right? so who did Jesus promise to really be with because we see here in one instance that God's not with the church but then God's with the church so we have to kind of reconcile these differences you see regardless of the spiritual darkness of any age God has always had his faithful in every single generation and This is the way it was in history. We know that during during the Dark Ages, God had his faithful. The Waldenses, right? The Albigenses, the Huguenots, the Church of the East. God has always had his faithful, regardless of the darkness, the spiritual darkness of every single age. And so likewise today, even within the church at large, God has his faithful core, that nucleus, even within the church today. You have God's church and then God's true church. You see? And the Bible calls them the elect, the remnant. Again, that faithful core and nucleus that has always been faithful to God regardless of the spiritual condition of the age. And this is that faithful group that's in the church body, the institution at large. And we need to ask ourselves, which are really a part of? Which are we really? Are we in God's church or are we in God's true church? Now, where in Scripture do we read about two groups within the church. Where do we read about that? Right. We read about that in Matthew 25. And I'm not going to go ahead and read all these verses here, but Matthew 25, verses 1 through 4, we see that we had the foolish, right, that did not have the oil. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. And when then you have the wise, which had the oil, and which represents. So they had the Holy Spirit. They had oil in their vessels. So we see one group that had a connection with God, and then we see another that perhaps had a you know, form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. Now, we're told that the ten virgins represents the church at large. So we have some that were not faithful, and we had others that were faithful. So the question I'd like to ask is this. If all ten virgins were sleeping, and they represent the church at large, everyone, then who woke up the sleeping virgins? Who woke them up? Does anyone have... This is... The Spirit of God, okay, true. Many people say the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit use human instruments? He does, right? When you think back of the midnight cry at the time of the early church, did the Holy Spirit come as a dove and preach the message or did he use human instruments? He used human instruments, right? So he uses people. He uses faithful people. In other words, at the time at the early church, God used the faithful millerites, you see? In other words, it was the little company, that remnant, the faithful, the elect, the remnant. It's that God's true church, which he uses to wake up the church at large. You see? And this is actually what we're going to be seeing. So God has always had his faithful. What does spirit of prophecy and scripture have to say about that question? So let's take a look at that here. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this here. Had those who claimed to believe the truth acted their part as wise virgins, the message would err this have been given to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. But five were foolish, and then five were wise. But the truth should have been proclaimed by the 10 virgins. But only five had made the provision essential to join the company that walked in the light given to them. So here we see that the wise had enough oil to join that company that had come to them who were walking in the light. Now who is this company of light, this little company who came to them with the message, with the midnight cry message, because she uses this term, this little company. She goes on to say, the little company who are standing in the light, who is this little company? Because apparently it's this little company that woke up the sleeping virgins at large. And she goes on to talk about this same little company. In fact, if you remember Sister White's very first vision, this is Early Writings, page 89. Remember her very first vision? She actually saw what? A little company that were traveling a narrow path all the way to the the heavenly city in other words i can read all of this but why not i asked the angel if there were none left he bade me look in an opposite direction and i saw a little company so here's that same term this little company traveling a narrow path all seem to be firmly united bound together by the truth in bundles or companies Said the angel, the third angel is binding or sealing them in bundles for the heavenly garner. This little company looked careworn as if they had passed through severe trials and conflicts. And it appeared as if the sun had just risen from behind a cloud and shone upon their countenances, causing them to look triumphant as if their victories were nearly won. That's early writings, page 89. So here she talks about this little company again. And throughout her writings, she talks about this little company Who is this little company? Because it seems to be that this is a group that's outside what Matthew 25 describes as the ten virgins. Let's take actually a look at this. Now, this is what she writes in Conflict and Courage, chapter 239. The decree that will finally go forth against the remnant people of God will be very similar to that issued by King Ahasuerus against the Jews. Today, the enemies of the true church see in the little company keeping the sabbath commandment a mordecai at the gate so here we see that god has this little company otherwise known as god's true church whom god uses to wake up the church at large you have god's church and you have god's true church the little company the elect the remnant that god has that are faithful that he uses to wake up the sleeping church at large and the question we need to ask is, which are you a part of? Are you part of God's church? Or are you part of God's true church today? And this is what scripture says about this group. Here, Paul identifies a group within the church that neither slumber nor sleep. In other words, we have the 10 sleeping virgins, right? But here, Paul identifies, right, a group that's not even sleeping. And he's talking about here the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord in this context. This is what he writes, the scripture reading. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So here Paul talks about children of light, children of the day. Sister White identifies them as the company of light that God has. These are people that are doing the work of God and God has this faithful group in every single generation. In fact, we know that today God has his who are doing the work. We look at the independent ministries who are teaching and preaching the three angels messages and baptizing many. This is God's true church today as opposed to God's church who are going through the routines, the motions of religion, nominal Adventism, if you will, God's church. And then you have God's true church who are doing the work. And it's God's true church, this little company that's getting the work done and God uses to wake up the 10 sleeping virgins at large. And the question is, which are you a part of? But things are not always going to remain as such forever and again i put this same slide up here again to the end of time as i mentioned before the presence of the spirit is to abide with the true church so the presence of god is with the true church and then as opposed to god's church with whom sister white says the presence of god is not in her midst so we have these two this is how we can reconcile this actual difference here now things will not continue as i mentioned You see, there is a time of testing coming which will separate the wheat from the chaff. And that time of testing is soon to come. In fact, we know that when a time of testing comes, is that a time to prepare, or is that a time which just reveals what you've done up to that point? When you are actually taking a test, right, it reveals the preparation you've done up to that point it's not time to start studying and you open your book unless it's an open book test right but we're not talking about that one in other words it just reveals what you've done up to that point in terms of preparation so a time of testing has come which will sift or shake as Paul as the scripture says like those things which can be shaken will be shaken and those things that cannot be shaken will remain in other words so the shaking is actually going on right now a time of testing is coming which will test to see what material your house is made out of. And of course, the house represents what? Is the character, is your character. So, this is what she writes here. I'm going to start in the middle here. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. And I'm just gonna read here in this order the church may appear as about to fall but it does not fall it remains while the sinners and zines will be sifted out the chaff separated from the precious sweet this is a terrible ordeal but nevertheless it must take place and you have the references actually right there so she says here that a large class who professes the truth will actually be shaken out and we know that we read in another place that is the ranks of the Lord's church will not be diminished. So there's going to be a large efflux out of the church, and there's going to be a large influx into the church, because God has many faithful that are not present in the church present day as well, too. So... This is what is actually coming. In another place, she says, it's the majority that will forsake us. So in one place, she says, a large class who profess the truth will leave. Here, she says, the majority will forsake us. In fact, she says this, to stand in defense of the truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few, this will be our test. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. So this is actually what's going to come upon the church to distinguish and separate the wheat from the chaff, God's church from God's true church. This is what's coming. And then at that time, the church will be no longer the church militant, but the church triumphant. As I like to say, a whole wheat church with no tears. That's what's coming to approaching the church at this time. Now, God uses certain things to shake and sift his church present day. Now, what are some of those things that God uses to shake and test his people, to sift the church? Trials, Trials, okay. Doctrines. Doctrines, okay. Paul mentions that heresies must enter in among you, that which they that are approved may be manifest. God allows heresies to enter into the church, to shake and sift as well too persecution is one thing right which will separate the sincere believers from the insincere believers and also we're told that this straight testimony I was just about to say the straight testimony likewise will also do that work so it's those three things which will shake and sift the church present day Paul said in the last days many will not endure sound doctrines and we're living at that time right now where many people may not extract the straight testimony the straight truth the Bible and the spirit of prophecy so God uses these things to shake and sift his church present day now this is what we read here then will the goal be separated from the dross and it will be made apparent who are the godly who are the loyal And true and who are the disloyal the dross and the tinsel what clouds of chaff will then be borne away by the fan of god where now our eyes can discover only rich floors of wheat there will be chaff blown away with the fan of god everyone who is not centered in christ will fail to stand the test and ordeal of that day maranatha chapter 196 so right now we have the church, and within that church is God's true church. We have the wheat and tares mixed, but the time of testing is coming that will sift and shake, and then God will have a pure church which will finish the work. So that's where we are right now with that, and I'm not going to read this slide here, but just to let you know, as I mentioned before, but the church now is the church militant. It's not the church triumphant. There are tears among the wheat. So that's the state and the phase that the church is currently in right now. Now, let me see. There we go. Has God no living church? He has a church. But it is the church militant, not the church triumphant. We are sorry that there are defective members. While the Lord is bringing into the church those who are truly converted, Satan at the same time brings persons who are not converted into its fellowship. You see, at the first when the church was growing, what was Satan's stratagem to destroy the church? What was his plan? What did he try to do? In well, not quite infiltrate at the first. Persecution, right? He tried to stamp out the church, but did that methodology work? No. It didn't work. They just kept growing and growing, right? The blood of seed, right, was just, you know, the blood of martyrs was a seed for, you know, the gospel of truth so he resorted to something different he resorted to what someone else mentioned over there compromise to infiltrate the church to water down the church and so this is what his method was while the lord is bringing in those who are truly converted right god's true church today satan brings those others into the church who are not fully converted so likewise we have today we have the wheat and the tears both in the church and why is it like that? Because right now we don't have that persecution which is used to purify the church. So we have both converted and unconverted in the church, sincere and insincere in the church. Wheat and tears present day in the church. And the question you have to ask yourself, you have to examine yourself, are you part of God's church? Or are you part of God's true church? Where do you stand? Are you going through the motions of religion Nominal Adventism? Or are you really doing the work? Are you part of God's true church today? Where do you stand? There's no middle ground. You have to, like Elijah said, right? In one instance, he said, how long you hold between two opinions. You have to choose this day. What are you going to do? Are you going to be all in for the Lord? Or are you just going to go through the motions of religion? The distinction and difference between God's church and God's true church today. You see, it says here, for not... All Israel is of Israel and though Israel be as the sands of the sea yet a remnant will be saved. This is what Paul actually has to say. Now this is not just some arbitrary, you know, decision on the part of God. The scripture says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right? God desires everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of salvation that's in Christ. But, so this is no arbitrary decision on the part of God. You know, God loves his church. God blesses his church. But it's interesting to note that God also loves and blesses those who don't acknowledge him, the wicked. So what's the difference? What is the difference? Where does the difference have to be? You see, the church needs to live a life that's commensurate with the blessings that God has bestowed upon her. You see? They have to live a life. The church right now is not reciprocating, you know, towards the blessings that God has given upon her. And that's the distinction. That's actually the difference right now. And it's, we're told that the goodness of God is supposed to lead to repentance. You see? And this is one of the things that the church actually has to do to get into right relation with God. So this is what Paul says. Even so, that at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. There's a, lem- there's a remnant there. There's the elect that's present, that God is the only one who knows who they are. In fact, God was speaking with Elijah. And what did Elijah say to the Lord, actually? He said, Lord, I'm the only one that's left here. There's no one else, right? And what was the response of God to Elijah? He said, I still have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You see, in the days of Elijah, people were mixed up in the worship of the Lord and Baal worship. They were involved in what's called syncretism, you see? But even Elijah, the prophet, was not aware that God still yet had 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal that were in Israel, God's true church, as opposed to God's church. And these were known only to God now there's a term that you'll come across i'm not sure if you've actually heard of it before how many of you have heard of the invisible church the invisible church right you'll read about it in god's true church today in the spirit of prophecy compilation god has his invisible church and then god has his you know visible church and the invisible church represents the elect that are only known to god only god knows them and then you have the visible church which is the institution at large in which the invisible church is in the midst of, but only God knows who they are, you see? You have God's church, and you have God's true church. And you need to ask yourself, which are you a part of? Are you part of the faithful group, that remnant, right? That's according to the election of grace, which have not bowed the knee to Baal, that you're faithful to God. Are you involved in syncretism? You're worshiping God on the Sabbath, and during the week you're just doing, well, whatever it is that you do, you see? You have to ask yourself, where do you stand, you see? This is stuff that we need to ask ourselves. And this is what scripture teaches throughout history. And this is actually just what I mentioned before here. Throughout history, God has always had his faithful within the church. When you actually read Acts chapter 7, it talks about the church in the wilderness. Acts chapter 7 right was there a church in the Old Testament time yes apparently so because Acts chapter 7 talks about the church in the wilderness when Israel was going through the wilderness before they were entering into the promised land so you have God's church in the wilderness God's church how many entered into the promised land two so you have God's church and then you have God's true church So Israel be as the sands of the sea. A remnant will be saved. God's church and God's true church. You see? Where else? What other? In fact, we're told this. Mordecai himself is a representative of God's true church. It says here. I won't read the top portion, but here. Today the enemies of the true church see in the little company keeping the Sabbath commandment a Mordecai at the gate. So Mordecai himself is a representative of God's true church. You see? Many of them we were just living in Babylon they had the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem but they were too comfortable in Babylon you see many today people just don't want to really do exploits for the Lord because they're just too comfortable doing what they're doing but Mordecai was faithful even to God in Babylon while others had the opportunity of going back but they didn't take the opportunity you see and we know that a crisis came upon them and a crisis is coming upon the church too which I mentioned before it's coming all of these are typologies for us living today and that came very quick and very suddenly And history is going to repeat itself unfortunately so we see here that many did not want to go back to jerusalem mordecai represents god's true church you have god's church at large a little mordecai in the gate little company god's true church which are you a part of which are you a part you have to ask yourself the question again the three hebrew worthies on the plain of dura you had probably thousands and tens of maybe even millions of jews on the plains of dura bowing down to the image god's church Now, did God have his true church there? Ah, okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God's true church and God's church at large. Which are you a part of? You have to ask yourself these questions because this makes all the difference. And it's better you hear it from Brother Joe than from God because one day when you knock on the door, you don't want to hear those words that we know Jesus says to those who are knocking on the door. So you need to ask yourself the hard questions now rather than get them later when there's no answer. Again. This is what scripture teaches. Gideon and his 32,000, right? God's church. And then he had the what? True church. And how many were there? 300. 300. God's church and God's true church who did the work. And the rest were just shaken away, the shaking and the sifting. Which are you a part of? I didn't mean to do that. In other words, again, you actually have the Sanhedrin, right? You know? That's it, you know? I'll tell you. You know, it's just a fire thing in the bones, you know? But uh, (laughs) so you had the Sanhedrin, right? You had the church conference of the day, the church. And God's true church, you had a a Nicodemus and a Joseph in there, you see? Likewise today, it's the same thing. And history goes on and on and on. Even present day, 50,000 Millerites, God's church. And who was God's true church after the disappointment? 50. You have God's church, and then you have God's true church. Which are you a part of? When the time of testing and disappointment comes, are you going to fall away or are you going to remain firm? Is your anchor going to hold during the storm? You got to ask it. You have to ask that. Mm -hmm. Are you just going through the motions? You know, you come to church, and then, like Orwell was saying, you know, you come, you sing a few hymns, you go downstairs, you talk, you go home. That's not Christianity. That's not Adventism. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for those to do the work. God's true church are those who are doing the work. Right. You see? And this is why Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. You see, Jesus wasn't looking for space in, you know, you know, in the Bible just to put those words down. You know, this is what he said. Broad is the way which leads to destruction, and many there be that go therein. Narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. This is what he said. This is, we have to understand what Jesus is actually saying here. God describes the remnant as such. He says the remnant is as this, is as a mighty tree, you know, mighty wind rather, blown of a strong wind, two or three olives left on the outmost bow. In other words, when the wind comes, when the storm comes and it shakes all the fruit off, the remnant are like two or three, you know, olives on the outmost branch. That's how he describes, you know, the remnant. And the question is, when the storms of life come and the winds start to blow and the floods and the rains descend, will you hold? God's true church will. But the majority, a large class, will leave. And yet, the ranks of the church will not be diminished. Why? Because God has many of his faithful children out there who will come to take the place of those who leave that are present day in the church. You see? That's how it's going to happen. You know, Jesus said in another place, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is addressing the faithful who are doing the God's true church, that little company, little flock. This is whom Jesus is addressing. In fact, Revelation 12, 17 says, right? We know this verse already. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now, who here is Satan waging war against? The true church. In other words, he's waging war against the remnants of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. You see, Satan is not wasting his arrows on sleeping church members. He's waging war, not with the church, but with God's true church who are doing the work. In fact, he's not wasting his ammo on sleeping church members. You know, He's not going to do that. He's just going to be content to let you sleep. But once you start to do the work, that's when trouble is going to start. Sometimes God permits trouble just to wake you up. You know what I mean? Not even from the devil himself. But the time persecution will come, you know, at that time. Here it says, the fires of persecution were again kindled against the true church of Christ and millions were slain without mercy. You see, the fires of persecution are not going to be happening against the church. It's going to happen against the true church. Why? Because they're doing the work. They're being faithful to God. In other words, in scripture we read this. It says... Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, right? It says in another place that, you know, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, who resist the steadfast in the faith. It's not everybody. He's resisting the steadfast in the faith. In other words, he's resisting who? The true church. Not the church. The church is sleeping. He's not worried about the church. But it's the true church that the fires of persecution were kindled against, and millions were slain without mercy. Again, in every age, the true church of God has engaged in decided warfare against satanic agencies. It's not the church. It's God's true church. That's the distinction. That's the difference. In fact, we read actually in a certain place. I think it's in Isaiah 28. It says, And a spirit of judgment to them that sit in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. Mm -hmm. In other words, God has his true church that are waging war against the gates of hell. And Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. These are they who are getting the work done. They're engaged in decided warfare against Satan. They're not going through the motions of religion. Which are you a part of? Are you just going through nominal Adventism, motions of religion, and everyone else is doing the work, you see? We have those in the church present day who are actually doing the work. They're teaching and preaching and baptizing. We have independent ministries. We have medical missionaries. They're doing the work. And the sleeping virgins, where are they? They're all here. They're sleeping. You see, we need to make that distinction. We need to recognize that we may be part of God's church, but we are not necessarily part of God's true church. That's the thing that we need to actually keep in mind. Paul said in another place, it is through much tribulation that we need to enter into the kingdom of God. You think you're just going to drift into heaven? It's not going to happen. Even a dead fish can swim downstream. You know? But the problem comes is that when you turn around and do a U-turn and go against the current, that's when the trouble starts. You have all these predators and eagles and bears and whatever, but a dead fish can go downstream. Right now, the church is spiritually dead. It's just flowing downstream like this. You know what I mean? You're not going to encounter any resistance, but the moment you wake up and you start to do work for the Lord and exploits for the Lord, that's when the trouble starts. So in other words, you know, we have to do that U-turn, you know, going downstream, and then you have to do a 180 and come back and go upstream against the current. And what is that 180 U-turn called? Repentance. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's the message to the church. You know, God could have said anything to Laodicea in church. That was the one thing he chose to pick, you know? And that was the message that Jesus and John the Baptist had for ancient Israel, and it's the same for spiritual Israel, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's the same message. There's nothing new under the sun. This is this, and those who are going to be a representative of John the Baptist and Elijah, will have the same message. So the message has to be given, actually, to the church. So we see here that it's God's true church that's involved in decided warfare against satanic agencies. Why is it, you know, when we ask the question, right, why is there no persecution in the church today? Well, I think we have an answer to that straight from the spirit of prophecy. Some of you are aware of that, but for those who are not, here it is. The Apostle Paul declares that All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why is it then that the persecution seems in a great degree to slumber? The only reason is that the church has conformed to the worldly standard and therefore awakens no opposition. The religion which is current in our day is not of the pure and holy character that marked the Christian faith in the days of Christ and his apostles. It is only because of the spirit of compromise with sin, because the great truths of the word of God are so indifferently regarded because there is so little vital godliness in the church that Christianity is apparently so popular with the world. Let there be a revival of faith and power of the early church, and the spirit of persecution will be revived, and the fires of persecution will be rekindled. So that's the reason why the church is not experiencing any persecution today. You know, very, very infrequent with experience persecution here. Why? Because we've compromised on so many different levels. You see, we've just, again, as I mentioned, not living lives commensurate with the blessings God has given us. We're not reciprocating with God. God has loved his church. He's blessed his church. He's done all these things for the church. And this is supposed to you know, arouse within us an acknowledgement. And also these things, you know, the goodness that God, is supposed to lead to repentance. And these are the things that God is looking for in his church. Micah 3.11, the heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not lord among us none evil can come upon us now this we see here a group that are going through the motions of religion yet they're claiming that the presence of god is in their midst so they're appropriating to themselves the blessings of god which he has reserved to those who are faithful and obedient and we have to ask ourselves the question you know we need to examine ourselves to see sincerely is the lord amongst us because as we saw before as we read that the church in this laodicean condition the presence of god is not actually in her midst the presence of god is to abide with the true church since the day of pentecost till the end of time as jesus said in matthew 28 20 he says lo i'm with you always even to the end of the world these are they who are faithful he was talking to the apostles he was talking to the true church he was talking to the elect he was talking to the remnant he's not talking to the institution, you know, the church at large, you know, who are just going through the motions of religion, you know, he's not addressing them. So we need to be careful to not appropriate the blessings which God has reserved solely to those who have been faithful and doing the work. These are some of the issues that we need to actually be considering. Now, it's interesting to consider that This is what we read in the Great Controversy. I'm not going to actually read the entire slide. It's a little bit extensive. I can read the highlighted portions. Um, Here, the Jews were declaring here, I'll start from the highlighted portion here, publicly declared, the Jews did, that is, that they had no fear that Jerusalem would be destroyed. For it was God's own city to establish their power more firmly. They bribed false prophets to proclaim, even while the Roman legions were besieging the temple, that the people were to wait for deliverance from God. To the last, multitudes held fast to the belief that the Most High would interpose for the defeat of their adversaries. So we see here those that are going through the motions religion still claiming to be the favored and chosen of God. But we know that was God's presence in their midst. God's presence was not in their midst. We know from the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel the prophet was given a vision of the Shekinah glory departing from the temple. And this was prior to the city being besieged. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel saw the Shekinah glory that was above the cherubim move to the threshold of the house, to above the cherubim, to the east gate, then to over the city, and then to Mount Olivet. He saw the Shekinah glory leave. And since that time, ancient Israel were going through the motions of religion, even to the point and to the extent at the time when the armies were besieging the city, they were still claiming the protection and the favor of God as well. And we need to be on guard against going through the motions of religion when the presence of God is not truly in our midst. That's the distinction distinction we need to make, actually. We saw that the presence of God is not with the church at large. His presence is with his true church that are doing the work. And the question is, which are you a part of? You have to ask yourself that. Are you going through the motions of religion? thinking that, yes, that all is well? Or really, you know, are you really part of God's true church doing the work who have the presence of God in their midst? The Jews, at the point that the city was taken, they finally acknowledged and realized that the presence of God was no longer in the midst. They had cried out that term, that name. What was that term? Ichabod, that the glory of God had departed. But you see, the glory of God had already departed. But they just didn't know that. They didn't recognize that. They went through the motions of religion, and likewise today, when the spirit of God is withdrawn from the face of the earth, many will still go through the motions of religion. Likewise, I need to ask yourself: We need to be on guard against that. It's even worse than that. Well, they bribe, they bribe false prophets to proclaim what they wanted to keep the people underneath their sleeping. Right. Exactly. In fact, you know, today we have people with itching ears. You know, and many times, you know, when God has a message. To give to his people, very often is not received. You know, in fact, in one place, I think he says to Jeremiah, thou shalt speak unto these people, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt call unto them, but they will not answer. For this is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord, nor receiveth correction. For truth is perished and cut off from their mouths. Mm -hmm. So this is where we're at today. He told Ezekiel. It was the same story Throughout ancient Israel for all the different prophets they had the same issue and struggle he said to Ezekiel they will come before you as the people cometh and sit before you as my people and they will hear your words but they will not do them for with their mouth they show much love but their hearts are removed far from me so these are things and we see before us that history is repeating itself and as brother Frank said it's actually present-day worse than it was for ancient Israel That's the difference. But the thing is though, we need to awake and acknowledge that problem, that God is working with a select few in the church, but he's not with the church as a whole, as an institutional body. He's with his true church, the elect, the remnant, which throughout history has been a very small proportion of the church at large. Which are you a part of? How long hold you between two opinions? If you're going to serve the Lord, serve him. But if not, then serve the other one. What's that hymn? Once to every man and nation comes a moment to decide. You have, there comes a time to every man and nation where you're going to have to decide what you're going to do. You have to ask yourself this question. And the, me, the Lord has, has this message for us because he wants us. He's going to be wrapping up this work very soon, you see, with or without you. God has his faithful, his true church that are going to finish the work. Are you going to be part of the foolish that fall away or the wise that wake up and join the company who come to you in the light, right? Walking in the light. That's going to wake you up. Which are you going to be part of? Do you have enough oil in your vessel for such a time as that? Or do you have no connection with God? You have to ask yourself. God doesn't want us to be foolish virgins. Certainly not. At the very least to be wise virgins. But they were all sleeping. He wants you to be part of his true church. The elect, the remnant, which neither slumber nor sleep. Children of light, children of the day, as Paul says, which neither slumber nor sleep. He wants to be part of that group that's doing the work. He wants to be part of that group. You see, after the rejection of the gospel, the Jews continually zealously to maintain their ancient rites, They rigorously preserved their national exclusiveness while they themselves could not but admit that the presence of God was no longer manifest among them. You see, finally it dawned on them, finally it dawned on them that the presence of God was not in their midst. They were just going through the motions of religion. How is it with you today? Are you going through the motions of religion? You know, you just go to church, you know, sing a few hymns, you go talk downstairs, you go home. That's not doing the work. That's not what Jesus' commission was to all of us. He said, go to all nations, teach and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the work. God has his faithful that are actually doing the work. And this afternoon, you have an opportunity to decide whether you're going to be part of God's church or you're going to be part of God's true church that are actually doing the work. Are you going to continue going through the motions of religion? Are you going to just like wake up in the morning, you know, you eat breakfast, you don't even pray, you don't even read the Bible, you just come here, you know, perhaps probably even late, you know, and then you, know, you just go here, you sing a few hymns, you go talk, and you go home. That's not being part of God's true church today. God's true church today. This is, the t- this is the message I have for you today. Which are you a part of? You gotta ask yourself these questions. You see, and I'm gonna be wrapping up here pretty soon, but the question is asked this. When Christ returns, shall he find faith on earth? You see, at Christ's first coming, was the church at large ready for his coming? No. You see, there was a little company that were blameless and walking in all the commandments of God that were ready for his company. God's true church. But God's church at large, the institution, the Adventist conference at the time, they were not ready for his coming. In fact, the wise men were knocking on the door saying, "Where is the coming? Where is the Lord?" In fact, today we're going to have wise men coming from different religions, you know, different denominations, not even cre- different religions altogether. We'll be knocking on the conference door saying, "You know what? We've been just looking at some of these prophecies and I think we're living in the last days. And I think Christ is coming soon according to the Bible. What do you know about that?" And you know what they're going to say? I don't know. We don't know. It's going to ha- history is going to repeat itself. You see, at Christ's first coming, he had an elect, a faithful remnant, God's true church, that were ready for his first coming. And likewise today, he will have an elect, and a remnant, a faithful core nucleus, God's true church, that will be ready not for his first coming, but for his second coming. Which are you a part of? Amen. Which are you have to ask yourself, because the majority missed the boat. You see, though Israel be as the sands of the sea, a remnant will be saved. You see, not all Israel is of Israel. This is what Paul's trying to warn us. All these things happen to them as ensamples and are written for our admonition upon whom the beginnings of the world, right? The ends of the world. All of these things are written for our learning, for our ensamples unto us, right? For written for our admonition, again, upon whom the ends, not the beginnings, of the world have come. We need to ask ourselves these questions. You see, there was this, faithful remnant that was ready for Jesus's first coming. And likewise, there'll be a faithful remnant for his second coming. And you want to be part of that group. You see, at the first coming, you had a few wise men, you had a few shepherds, you know, you had modern, you're going to have modern day Simeons who are going to be promised by the Holy Spirit that they won't even see death until they see the Lord's Christ come. You're going to have modern day John the Baptist John the Baptist was promised, upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descend, it is he that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. God has faithful to whom he will give, be privy to give inside information. The secret of the Lord is with the righteous. You see? In other words, you know? The forward is an abomination with the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them their covenant. And surely, Amos, chapter 3, I think it is, that the Lord will do nothing except to reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophets. God has a faithful few whom he actually discloses what he's about to do. God's true church. And he says, go wake up the church at large. Go wake up the sleeping virgins. Wake up, wake up, wake up. This is what God's message is for his church today. Which are you a part of? God's church or God's true church? Which do you want to be a part of? Do you even care? You know, this is where we are today. God is asking us to decide which group are you really a part of? I can keep going on and on, but I'm probably not going to want to do that. You know, Jesus said some words to those to his audience you know he said in one instance he said why is it you cannot understand my speech It's because you cannot hear my words in other words sometimes you know when jesus spoke to the disciples it went in one ear and went out the other you know such a even elaborates further she says that it was as if jesus never even spoke the words or even warned the disciples we need to ask ourselves, you know, where we truly are, which are we really a part of? Amen. I could perhaps leave it there. I think you got a full dose of uh, the message for today. I think you understand. But you see, we're told this, and I'll end on a little up note, is that the condition of Laodicean church is actually better than that of the foolish virgins because at the time that the foolish virgins woke up, was there time for repentance? There was, it was too late. Sister what actually says that the Laodicean church is more hopeful than the foolish but guess what it's not going to be for much longer though no. it's not much there's a small window of opportunity yet left that God is leaving and he's sending his servants to wake up the sleeping church at large because it's better you hear it from them than you hear it from God because at that time when it comes from God it's going to be too late. late you'll be knocking outside and you're going to just completely have just gone you know missed the boat you know what i mean so in other words This is where we're at today. So you have to decide for yourselves. Which are you a part of? And really, as he said, you don't want to put off. You hear the Lord's voice that he hardened not your heart. You need to act upon it. And this is what Jesus said, right? This is the sin, right? That condemnation has come. Once you've been exposed to light, you're responsible for that now. And if you don't walk in that light, you're going to end up in further darkness than you were before you even heard this message. So it's up to you. It's up to you. I've done, you know, what it is that the Lord has bidden me to do. And now the rest remains for you to decide. And we leave it as such.